Well, have you ever been in a situation where you just wanted to run? Like when the microphone makes really bad noises and you hate it. <laughs> just turn it down. It'll, it'll work still. Um, well, you just want to get out of there. You just want to get away from whatever whatever's kind of happening. To disappear from the face of the planet. The 20th of July, 1989, is a date I remember. I remember it partly because it's the 20th anniversary of man landing on the moon. That's one thing that I remember. But I remember it because I was seven years old, 11 months and nine days. And on that day, I wore a spacesuit to school. I'm the kind of guy with a red helmet on in the middle. That's me. It was kind of celebrating the 20th anniversary of the moon landing. And we were all dressed up as space guys. And so that's me in my space kit. I had this cool booster pack on and a bit of pool hose coming up into my helmet. That wasn't why I was embarrassed or why I wanted to run, though. You see, we weren't allowed to wear our suits all day. And so when it got to little lunch or recess, uh, we all had to go and, and get changed and then go and eat our little lunch, play, then we kind of came back and got into serious work for the rest of the day. And I was kind of late getting in and everyone had left the classroom and my mate Alan and I were the only guys in the classroom and we were like, why don't we just get changed here? He had some really lightweight kind of space thing on. He was done in a flash. I've got my helmet off, my, my gear off. I'm standing there in my undies in the classroom. No one else is in the room. When this bunch of girls walk in. Standing there just in your underwear. Have you ever had times in your life where you just want to run? <laughs> when you just wish you hadn't done something? I picked up my clothes. I ran into the storeroom and I didn't come out until recess had finished. I was like, no way I was going into the playground that day. Well, sometimes we want to do a runner. Sometimes it's for good reason. Sometimes it's because we're trying to avoid embarrassment. But other times it's because we're trying to avoid things we probably shouldn't. Running away is one of the ways that many people deal with life. It's kind of their mode of operation. You bump into people quite often. You see them in movies. Jerry Maguire, um, Julia Roberts, and the Runaway Bride. I mean, not that they're really real people, but people who just can't handle dealing with situations and so when the going gets tough they run well the book of Jonah tells a story of a man who's trying to do a run he's trying to get away from God and what God might do in his life he's trying to run and it's a familiar story to many of us Um, we've heard it before but I want to say it's an unlikely story because it's not really about a fish It's not really about what's going on when a whale takes this man. So the whale in the story is actually a red herring, pun included, intended there. The whale's kind of not the main focus. It's a distraction. Ultimately, the book of Jonah is about an unlikely God, an amazing God, who I hope you see today through God's Word, just His character, His unstoppable love for His people, a God who even in the midst of rebellion against him chooses not to give people what they deserve. Jonah is the story of an amazing God. An amazing God whose mercy and power is inescapable. Now I don't know what you think of God. You might think he's a myth. You might think he's just some monster, some vindictive kind of overruling ruler. Or maybe you just don't know You may think that the whole God thing is pretty unlikely. 
Or you might think that you've got God pretty much sorted out. What we're going to see today is, it does not matter what you think of God. But what God thinks of you. It doesn't matter what you think of God. What matters is what God thinks of you. And I think you're going to be surprised. I think you're going to see this unlikely response. So the story starts with God, okay? Breaking into Jonah's world. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, it's important to realise as we kind of look through this book that Jonah is actually not some made-up guy. Some people want to write Jonah off as just kind of a story, a fabrication, a book that's in there. It's not really history, but it's not the case. If you have a look at 2 Kings 14, that's the historical records of, of God's people Israel, kind of written down for us, we read that Jonah, son of Amittai, has prophesied for the king of Israel, that his land will be secured, that the boundaries will be restored, there will be a time of peace for the people of Israel. What we know is, Jonah is a prophet close to the heart of God's people. He's a kind of high-up government official, if you want to think through kind of our, our world's terms. Now, he's part of the Israelite leadership team. He kind of be known to those amongst the leaders and rulers of Israel. So God speaks to this real Jonah, a real character throughout real history, and says, go. Go to Nineveh and preach against it. Now, I don't know how your biblical world history map type stuff's going. Mine's pretty hopeless. Nineveh is a long way from home. Especially for a loyal prophet. For a prophet who doesn't want to stray from his homeland, who's close to the king's heart. Have a look at this map. So, there's Jerusalem. That's where Jonah is. We're going to see Joppa in a moment, just off to the, to the coast there. Here's Nineveh. Israel. Nineveh is a different country. It's ages away. God says to Jonah, leave your country, go to Nineveh. You might know Nineveh by another name used for it throughout the Bible, Assyria. Nineveh was the Assyrians, and the Ninevites were the sworn enemies of God's people. They were kind of wild and brutal. They had a reputation for disgusting war practices. Let me tell you a few. Whenever they took over a town in a battle, they would take any of the survivors, take them out in front of the, t- the town, and impale them on stakes. This is what happens when you go against Assyria or Nineveh. Or, um, when they found the, the leaders of other nations, they would cut off their heads of the enemies and then wear them on a chain around their necks. They'd wear their heads like some sort of bling, as if it was kind of hanging off the rearview mirror of their car, saying, look how cool we are. These were a grotesque and wild and brutal people. After a battle, they'd pile up the skulls of their enemies and make pillars of them. To say, this is our strength. Look who we are. And Israel were the prime enemy of Assyria, of Nineveh. The relationships between Assyria and uh, Israel were far from being close. They hated each other. The Israelites hated the Assyrians, and the Assyrians felt much the same way about the Israelites. And this is the nation that God says to Jonah, go. So we've got a prophet, a real guy, close to the king of Israel's heart, his inner circle, told to leave the comfort and security of Jerusalem to preach a word of warning and judgment 
against an ugly brute of a neighbour who hates their guts. This isn't just some quick trip across the ditch to a nation that's nearby to tell the Aussies to pull their socks up at the cricket. Although they're doing pretty well at that, I might just add. It's the equivalent of sending an Orthodox Jew into the core of Berlin at the height of World War II to present Hitler with a personal rebuke. I have a message for you, Adolf. (laughs) You've got to stop what you're doing. How do you think that's going to go down? Put yourself in Jonah's jandals for a moment. I just want to say that was really hard for me to say. Jonah's jandals. They're thongs, but that would freak you out. It's a pretty full-on request, right? If it was me, I'd be freaked out. But on the other hand, this is God who's speaking. We've heard of this God throughout the history of the Bible. This God who took Israel out of Egypt who conquered his enemies, who divided the Red Sea and brought the sea back down in on his people. This is a powerful God. This is the God who made the universe, who spoke and creation came into being. He flung stars into space. He made up with the concept of light. How do you weigh up the fear of man and the command of God? How does that play out in your life? When you know what God's word says, but you fear the real dangers of our world. Most Christians I know would say, of course I listen to God. God, That's what we we say, isn't it? We listen to God. Or maybe if God just spoke to me and told me what to do, if he just made himself clear, um, no matter what it was, I'd be there. Maybe you don't trust in God just yet. Maybe you want him to come through and speak more clearly than he has. Yet when God promises to speak through this, through his word, I know I fail to listen. I fail to hear him. I fail to to kind of actually go, this is the God of the universe speaking. Or I rationalise it. We go, yeah, he couldn't really mean that. Like, he might have thought it was a good idea when he said, go to Nineveh, Jonah, but I'm the guy on the ground. Like, I see what this world's like. God's up in the clouds. I'm going to help God out. I'm going to kind of just correct him a little bit, or just not do totally everything he says. How do you weigh up the fear of man and the command of God? But what happens when you're in one of those situations where you know what God's Word says, but you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. No matter what you say, you're going to offend someone, and it's going to have bad ramifications on you. Well, that's the situation Jonah's in right here. See, if he goes to Nineveh, and they might repent, God might actually turn them back to himself. But the problem is, he's going to be seen as a traitor to Israel. It'd be like going to Australia and convincing all the Australians to become Kiwis, or at least to, to, to love Kiwis and never be nasty to them, you'd be like, get lost. I don't want Australians to do that. They're Australians. We hate Australians. Well, not really hate them, but, you know, there's that... But imagine that with your arch enemies. Cooperating with God in the salvation 
of Israel's arch enemies is just unpatriotic. To a nation that's about purity, excluding all nations at whatever cost, Jonah's mission to bring them back to trust God isn't going to end well for him. Not for someone who's in the inner circle of God's, of, of Israel's leadership. He can never come home. Imagine that. Imagine what the king would say. You fool. What did you do? There are enemies. We hate Ninevites. The other option is he goes to Nineveh and they don't repent. How's that going to work out? His head is going to end up hanging from the chain of a king's rearview mirror. He's going to be gone. God is sending Jonah on a suicide mission, whichever way you look at it. Jonah is the kamikaze prophet. He's on a one-way ticket to Nineveh with no return flight inside. Now, we don't find out why Jonah does what he does until chapter 4. We don't find out what's really going on. It kind of keeps us in suspense. And so I'm going to do the same. I'm going to keep us in suspense about why Jonah chooses to do this. But what he does is he runs. He does what we often do. puts his hands on his ears and goes, no, 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 no. Runs the opposite direction. He runs away from God. He bolts across to Joppa that we just saw on the map, jumps in the first boat out of Israel in the total opposite direction to Nineveh. I just want to give you a picture of the way he's going. Right? As Jonah heads, have a look at this. Here's Nineveh. Jonah jumps across from Israel, Joppa, all the way to Tarshish. <laughs> That's Spain, right? There's an idea of where Jonah's going. He's not really going the direction of God. See, it's modern day Spain, Tarshish. When he should have been heading east, he heads west. He sets out to sea when he should have been on land. He sails away from God when he should have walked toward God. Almost everything about Jonah's escape in this story is the opposite of what he's supposed to be doing. He's literally ending heading to the other end of the earth. But the interesting thing is that Jonah wasn't running away from Nineveh. It's not the Ninevites that scare him. Two times in, in, the, in this section, it gives us the answer. Have a look with me. It's on the screen. Verse 3. What is Jonah running from? Jonah ran away from the Lord, not Nineveh, and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound to that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. Why? To flee from the Lord. Why is he fleeing? Why, what is he afraid of? Jonah does the runner. He runs away from the task that God has asked him to do. And at this point, I just want to pause the story for a moment and kind of shift to us and go, are there things in your life that you're running from? Are there things in your life where you feel like God is kind of pushing you, prompting you through the reading of Scripture, through godly friends who are encouraging you, from Christian friends? You might not be. Are there parts of your life that you feel like you're just edging away from God on? Where you just want to block your ears or mold what He says? We're going to see the God of the Bible. We're going to see his power and his might. And we're going to see in a moment how silly it is to think we can run away from the one who made the world. 
as the boat pulls out to sea, you can kind of picture Jonah. Just a little bit confident, right? <laughs> Nineveh, I'm going to pass it. You can imagine him seeing the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain as he lulls himself down below on the ship, off to sleep. Just a little bit confident about himself, his achievements. You've worked hard in Israel as God's prophet, Jonah. You deserve a break, a rest, some time away from God, a little space to get your head worked out. You don't want to listen to him right now. Just sit back. Nineveh. (laughs) And as he goes off to sleep, Jonah's confidence is about to be shattered. God appoints a storm. He sends a storm. In fact, he doesn't just send it. Literally, the original said God hurls a storm at Jonah. There's lots of kind of funny language going on in the original here. God hurls this storm at him. It's no midsummer night's breeze. It's a cracker. I don't know if you've seen The Life of Pi. I haven't. I saw the shorts for it just this week. But there's this amazing storm at the start where things go crazy. I was thinking, man, that's the type of storm that Jonah is in. It's enough to make the sailors hurl. So God hurls a storm at Jonah. The sailors start hurling all the stuff overboard. This kind of picture is that these, these seasoned sailors who've been in the seas for, for all their lives are freaked out. And then the scene shifts to Jonah, confidently sleeping. Sleeping. As the sailors are furiously praying to their respective gods, they're calling out to whoever they can, whoever listens, whoever might just help. You've got people praying to Baal, praying to the kind of fertility gods, to all sorts of stuff. These guys are going, just please, whoever you are, whoever is out there, stop this. Shows us there's a recognition that we aren't in control. Not of everything. They find Jonah as they clear the cargo, throw it overboard, taking a nap. The captain approaches Jonah and says in verse 7, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. You kind of hear the desperation in Jonah's voice. What is going on? But Jonah doesn't say anything. He wakes up. He knows what's going on. He knows the God who made the world. But he's silent. It's not until the sailors cast lots, they draw straws, that that they work, that it falls on Jonah. Again, God makes the lot fall on Jonah. So they come and go, you're the guy, it's your fault. It just shows you the power of pride, doesn't it? The power of not wanting to admit you're wrong. Not wanting to stand before God or others, knowing that we, we fail. It's such a dangerous thing. What do you throw out of your life so you can keep your pride intact? What things do you ignore or or kind of pull back from just so you have a good reputation, a good kind of view to the outside world? So your reputation might be inflated. Well, Jonah's reluctance to listen to the word of God or just to speak the truth about God nearly costs these sailors their lives. Then we reach the key verse of this whole chapter. The big verse that reveals to us what it's about. In Jonah 1, chapter 9, the wayward prophet replies to the interrogation of the sailors and he says this, Jonah answered, 
I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, literally Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. You idiot. <laughs> Can you imagine the sailors? The God you worship made the sea and the land and you're... <laughs> yeah. In contrast to the failed prayers of the sailors, Jonah worships the God who controls everything. The God who made the storm that threatens their life is the one he worshipped. In a world of local gods where the kind of spirits were responsible for certain aspects of life, or that's what people thought, Jonah plays the trump card. You've got the fertility god and the sea god and all this sort of... Jonah's like the god I worship. His name is Yahweh and he made everything. Jonah is running from the creator of all things. The one who made sea and land. He's running from the, the God who is in complete control of everything. What an idiot. Seriously. What a fool. The sailors understand it, but Jonah just doesn't get it. The sailors are like, what are you doing? Jonah's got his hands on his ear or his head in the sand. No, that's alright. You can't run away from God. You can't run away from God. Not this one. Not the true and living God. To run away from the God who knows all, sees all and does all is impossible. It's impossible. It's like trying to get away from gravity by your own strength. You can't do it. You can't get into outer space by jumping. Is that pathetic that looks? If I really go, oh, I'm going to get into outer space, watch this. You, you can't get away from gravity. You cannot get away from the God who made everything. Yet so often that's what we try and do. So often there's bits we want to ignore or parts we don't want to hand over to God or even just our whole view of God. We, we want to hold him at a distance and go, nah, I think it'll be alright in the end. I think I'll, everything will turn out fine. You can even say, I don't think you exist. According to the Bible, that's like saying, I don't think gravity exists. You can believe it. You're free to believe what you want. But you go jump off a, off a cliff and reality will show you'll land at the bottom. God has made everything. And therefore, everything is responsible to Him, including you and me. Everyone will have to give an account to the God who made the world, stand before Him. No matter what you think of Him, that is the Bible's claim. Please hear it today. You can't run away from God. So for Jonah, the only escape is to give in to the judgment of God. The only escape is to jump overboard, is to face the judgment he deserves. The sailors oblige Jonah's suicidal request. They toss him into the sea. They allow Jonah to be judged by God for his rebellion and disobedience. And the sailors turn and worship the living God. They praise him because the seas go calm and the God of the universe stops. Imagine that. Seeing the effects of God. If anything, this story tells us that the stakes of ignoring God are high. 
And really, the story should end right there. If you want justice to be done, the hopeless, disobedient prophet, sinking to the depths of the sea, receiving really what he asked for, life without God. I don't want you in the world, God. I don't want you to intervene. I don't want you to speak to me. I want life without you. That's what he gets at the bottom of the ocean, dead. Life without God. But here's the most unlikely part of this story. It's not a fish. The most unlikely part of this story is that Jonah doesn't get what he deserves. He doesn't get it. He deserves to die. He's asking God to get out of his life, but he doesn't get that. The unlikely part of this story is the amazing love of God. An amazing love that would go to the depths to bring him back. To go to the depths of Jonah's rebellion against God and rescue us. Verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. You want to know what happens there? Come back next week. But here's the picture. Despite his rebellion and wickedness, God rescues Jonah. He rescues him and sets him back on a path to be God's servant, to complete God's mission. God restores his wayward prophet through his power and strength. The big picture of the book of Jonah isn't a big fish. It's not a big storm. It's a massive God. A phenomenally big God. Do you notice nearly every action in the story of this is an action of God? God commands the prophet. God hurls the wind. God causes the lights to fall on Jonah. God calms the sea. God sends the fish. The God of the Bible is not a God who stands back. He's not a powerless God. He's a God who is in control of everything. He's not a God who stands on his rights and says, Just die. I hate you for turning your back on me. Although he could. He's a God who rescues those who turn their backs on him. A God whose love for his people is greater than his love for vengeance. For making things right. It's impossible to exempt yourself from responsibility to the God who made everything. That's impossible. But it is possible to miss just how much the God of the Bible loves you. It's possible to miss just how much the God of the Bible loves you. He goes to incredible lengths to show his love for us. There was another prophet who came a little later who spent three days in death and rose again. Except he was a different prophet. As he was nailed to a Roman cross in an attempt to thwart the plans and purposes of God, God was in such control that the death of Jesus was the very act that would rescue the world. Jesus' death in our place was kind of like Jonah going overboard for the sailors on the boat. Jonah died so the guys on the boat didn't have to. But with Jesus, he died so the world doesn't have to. He paid the penalty that we deserve. Unlike Jonah, he didn't deserve that. He was perfect. Yet he died in our place so we could sail free. 
Are you on the run from God? Are there places that you think you can hide? Parts of your life that you've got in a cupboard? That you think God can't see, can't hear? Are there parts of my life that I want to hold back? Do we live as though God doesn't see what's going on inside our heads? At our work? Or at the computer? Why did God send Jonah to Nineveh? We've got to find out next week. But what Jonah 1 shows us is this. Just as God's power is inescapable, so is his mercy and grace. No matter how hard Jonah tries to avoid going to Nineveh, God will get his message of repentance there. No matter how hard Jonah tries to avoid fessing up to the sailors, the chapter ends with them fearing God and sacrificing the God of the universe, vowing to follow him. No matter how much Jonah has offended God, God still sends a fish to save and rescue him. Paul summarises this love of God in Romans chapter 8. He says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's power and His sovereignty over all creation is inescapable except by His amazing love for us in Jesus. So no matter how far you stray, no matter what you've done, what you've said, what you've thought, no matter how far or how many times you've run, you've pushed Him out, you can't run away from God. God has gone the distance for you. He's done the hard yards to bring you back. He's gone to the depths of dying in your place in His Son so that you can live forever. There is nothing you can't be forgiven for except rejecting Jesus. Except not taking the offer of the fish of salvation. Friends, we have an amazing God. Why, why don't you come before Him now as we pray and put your life in His hands? Why don't we pray? Father God, Your power is amazing. But Your love for us is even more amazing again. We want to thank You so much for Jesus, that He's died in our place, that He's rescued us from the depths of the grave. We want to ask, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us through your word and by your spirit. We ask that your spirit would speak to us today as we've heard your word, as we've heard you. Father, let us place our lives in your hands to recognize we can't run from you, to get rid of the pride that says we, we want to run from you, and instead turn and run to the God who knows everything, who's seen all we've done, and yet offers us life forever, offers us forgiveness. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. And we pray that wherever we are today, 
You will help us to put our trust in you. Amen.